Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's that lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring three people who are friends with each other. At this point, <laughs> well, I work so, on SciShow. And I work on SciShow too, too. And Sari doesn't. And so yeah. it's not really fair to say. But this week, as always, I'm joined by just my two friends, Sam Schultz. Hello. Can you take your phone out? And then open up a open up your your emoji keyboard and tell me what your most used emoji is. Oh, I think it's gonna be the side eye emoji. Yeah, number one, the little side eyes eye. that are peeking off to the side. Oh yeah, <laughs> why do you like that? Because something's sus. Yeah, to me, it's like I'm telling a secret <laughs> is one way. Something sus is one way. I'm mm-hmm. about to get in trouble. It's a lot of different things to me. Well, my my one is the the guy who's showing all of his teeth. He's like, oh, grimacy mm. guy. Yeah, just grimace guy. Like, ah, sorry, I said that. Or we're both afraid of getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your tagline? Enchantment under the sea. Mm, lovely. Sari Riley, hello. How are you? Hello, I'm doing okay. Would you rather go in and be like a space explorer or like an ocean explorer under the ocean? Ocean, Damn. absolutely. Space yeah. seems very like I'm dedicating my life to going to the middle of nowhere and then yeah. maybe not coming back and with questionable <laughs> medical conditions. Ocean, at least I can come back to the surface of the earth fairly easily. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, ocean, it's like you're not going to be down there for more than a day. 
Mm-hmm. Probably not more than a few hours. You can see some little guys while you're down there too. Yeah, that's true. There's life in the ocean and space is, as far as we know, pretty dead. If you see a little guy in space, then that's more concerning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a big, it's pretty big deal though. Yeah, that's true. Um, You'll be very either famous. a pretty big deal or there, or you you were experiencing a hallucination. Which, <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Uh, it's also some, th- something you should tell someone about immediately. <laughs> Sari, what's your what's your tagline? Appropriately grungy. Ah, well, that's the that's a very January 2021 mood, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I'm Hank Green, and my tagline is: He uses a little too much hair product, doesn't he? Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts without always staying 100 percent on topic. We're playing for glory. We're also keeping score and awarding chin coins from week to week, named after the illustrious. And 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 gone by <laughs> Stefan Chin. Just like we did last week, we're bringing in the new season of Tangents, or maybe a preseason, by trying out some new games each week in January. One of us is going to bring a new game to the show, and if we like it, it may end up in the regular rotation. But first, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from me. Things that are near you hear with your ear. Things that are far, you hear them too. A cartilaginous flap without peer, detecting the sound waves arriving at you. But did you know the organ your ear conceals does not actually hear? No, it feels. Mechanoreceptors are nerves that feel touch. They sense pressure, and it doesn't have to be much. Just tiny tappings, a breath on the skin, a tympanic membrane touched by the wind. Whether whispered song or roaring buses, sounds are actually just tiny touches. Oh. That was a nice one. That's what we do here at, Sci- at SciShow Tangents. We touch your ears very mm-hmm. softly, and words appear in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so our topic for the day is ears. Ears, yeah. Sari, what's an ear? Well, it is an organ found in animals that is has evolved to perceive sounds. And I couldn't really figure out more specific than that, like where the line between like a tympanic membrane. So like on frog bodies, there's a membrane. Mm -hmm. They have like a middle ear, but not an outer ear structure. And it's membrane that senses the tiny touches and conveys it to their brain. Is that an ear? Eh, Probably. I feel like it's an ear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the thing. Because I think I say like, if I was going to like ask you to touch your ear, you would touch the flappy thing on the outside. Uh But the ear is actually, I think it includes the entire thing up to the nerve that carries the sound impulse away, the entire structure. And so, like, you know, not everybody's going to have all that same ear, not every species, but they're going to have something that detects sound and carries it to the nervous system. Does pretty much everything have that, something that detects sound? Nah. Okay. I think most vertebrates do and most insects do. And like other other sort of invertebrates can sense sound. I think like mollusks can sense sound in some way mm. and worms can. But then once you get into like the blobbier creatures, then it's it's gets a little bit more questionable. So like okay. jellies, they have an organ of balance called a statocyst, which is related to the organ of balance that we have in our inner ear. And many mammals have in their inner ear. Like it's related like it was the structure evolved from a common structure? Yes, I think so. Wow, mm. that's wild. We've been balancing for a long time. I yeah. guess you got to do that. Yeah, to start, to like move around in a coordinated way, you've got to balance. So they've got yeah. a they've got a, like a balancing organ, but they don't have like an ear 
They just have that piece of what is right. now our. So if year. I if I yell at a jellyfish, it will not know I'm doing. Yeah. It. Can they detect vibrations? Are they all, all in here? Is there well, whole that's, body? Well, that in is here? a whole other thing. Yeah, like some microorganisms can definitely detect vibrations, hmm. and I guess that's like they are just full body ear. Yeah, they're an ear. So you either have an ear or you are an ear. Yeah, or you don't right. have an ear and aren't an ear. Also, right. Yeah. I suppose like a sponge. I imagine a sponge <laughs> would be, but who knows? No, I think they're earless. They're on my list of of earless things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have sponges and placozoa. Wow. So not you know not that many things. And where did the word ear come from? Are we still doing that? Yeah, that's my favorite part of the whole show. Well, I hate to disappoint you, Sam, but ears Uh are one of those things where they've just been on us Uh and we pointed to it and we were like, ear. Oh, darn. (laughs) And then it's been ear ever since. So now it's time for one of our mystery games. So Sam has a thing for us. I'm very curious to find it out. And have you named your game? Because I didn't do that. Yeah, so yeah. I'd be proud of you. So since this week's topic is ears, I thought it would be appropriate to introduce a sound-based game that Ooh. I like to call Hear Ye, Hear Ye. Okay. <laughs> you weren't impressed with it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was charming. So first I'll tell you a little bit about what this edition of Hear Ye, Hear Ye is about, and then I'll explain how the game works. So space is the inky black emptiness that surrounds us, stretching out into infinity, filled with mysteries obscured by distance, time, and the fundamental forces of our universe. It could be a realm of infinite possibility filled with strange life and beautiful sights we will never see or even imagine. It could be an endless graveyard where dead planets and dying stars perform a meaningless ballet until the end of time. Toadfish are a family of bottom-feeding fish found worldwide in fresh, brackish, and salt water that use their swim bladders to sing mating songs so loud that they can clearly be heard above the surface of the water. So people have taken audio recordings of both space-bound phenomena and toadfish songs, and to me, they sound basically the same. (laughs) So in this edition of Hear Ye, Hear Ye, I'm going to play you an audio track and then ask you to decide if you're hearing a sound from outer space or the singing of a toadfish. And here's how the scoring works. Thought about this for a long time. If you get it right, you get two points. For each that you get wrong, I get one point. This is what I missed with my game, as there were no opportunities for me to get points. I was very careful to include many opportunities for me to get points. (laughs) I learned from you. All right, here is sound number one. Do you think that is outer space or toadfish? Are we counting down or are we? Yeah, let's count down so we don't influence each other. Three, two, one, toadfish. Sound number one, just to get you oriented, was the song of a toadfish. Oh, no. (laughs) Then I'll give you a toadfish fast fact. Male toadfish build nests and attract females by singing these songs. The females lay their eggs and then take off, and they leave the male to guard the nest, and it guards the nest for about a month until the eggs hatch. Then the baby toadfish are literally attached to the nest by, like, an umbilical cord or something like that. Whoa. So the male still hangs out for, like, three more weeks until they develop enough to detach. Then they follow him around and hide behind him to stay safe. So he takes care of them for, like, three or four months or something, and he's, like, the best dad in the fish kingdom. Sound number two. Here it is. A little creepy. I'm a little creeped out. Three, 
to one space. It's got to be space, right? Okay. It's got to be space. (laughs) So what you just heard was the sound of vibrations and radiation emitted by the sun's atmosphere gathered by NASA's solar and heliospheric observatory, then turned into something that the human ear can hear. So scientists use these sonifications as another piece of data to help them discern when things like solar flares and coronal mass ejections happen. So I got no points and you guys each got two points. Sound number three. Here it is. Hmm. That feels like a that feels like a definitely an either one to me. I think that's a space. That was my gut also. I thought they have all been space. So that is my bias in here. But it sounded regular enough, like a stop mm-hmm. and a start, that maybe a toadfish wouldn't do like that abruptly. I don't know. There's some, there was just something about the quality of the noise that seemed less organic to me. What do we got, Sam? That's exactly what I wanted you to think. That no! Was- <laughs> that was a toadfish. Here's another wow. toadfish fast fact. Some species of toadfish can survive outside of water for up to 24 hours and are able to traverse short stretches of land using their fins. Same here. All right, sound number four. Here it is. What? That's an alien noise. (laughs) Very different from the last one. (laughs) I'll tell you that. That can't be space. Mm. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> There's too many of them. I could see it being like uh, like objects. And by objects, I mean like solar particles bouncing into something going, wheel, sure, wheel, wheel. Yeah. I, I don't know. That could, yeah, you're right. Both the toadfish ones have been more low. Lower pitched. But I feel like he's trying to trick me, so I'm going to go toadfish. Okay, I'll go toadfish too. They're having a rave under the sea. Toadfish rave! You guys are so stupid. That was space. (laughs) No, my God. Earth's magnetic field is apparently filled with plasma waves. Uh, When these waves travel through certain areas of cold, dense plasma, the waves have a high frequency pattern. And these are known as whistler waves because when pitched down to the human range of hearing, Mm. they sound like what you just heard. These were recorded by NASA's Van Allen probes. And I don't know what they do with this information, but. Oh, no, Sam, you're doing very well. (laughs) Sound number five, please, if you would. Oh, it's wet. It sounds like it sounds like a toadfish in a frying pan. It sounds like a goose being sizzled. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick question. It was a goose being sizzled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta go toadfish again. I'll go toadfish, but I'm afraid that this is like a weirdest. Like this is like an astronaut cooking an egg on the ISS or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> an egg with a live goose in it. What yeah. is it, Sam? That one was too wet to not be a toadfish. Okay. I thought the wet would throw you off, but it is a toadfish. So here's another piece of toadfish trivia. In the 80s, residents of houseboats in Sausalito, California, reported hearing a droning hum loud enough to keep them up at night. Speculation ran wild, with some people even believing that they were hearing the sound of a Soviet submarine that was sneaking around off the coast. Uh, eventually, it was discovered by a, a, an aquarium nearby to be the mating call of the toadfish resonating through the hulls of their houseboats. Sound number six. Oh. That was also very wet. Or did I put two wet ones close to each other for this exact reason? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think this is another toadfish. I think Sam's trying to reverse psychology us. I'm gonna go space. Oh no. Okay. That one was a toadfish. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> toadfish fact. Toadfish have sharp spines on their dorsal fins and gills for self-defense. And in one subfamily, these spines are hollow and filled with venom. Okay, here's the last one. Sound number seven. Go. I mean... That's space. That's space. Yeah, that's like that's gotta the screaming be of, of eternal souls. Uh, <laughs> also, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's space where all the souls are. I I mean that just sounded it sounded like the soundtrack of a of a science fiction movie. Like I feel like that sound sound effect could have been used in, in two thousand one A Space Odyssey. You're both yeah. going with space. Go, yes. Going with space. Okay. It was space, baby. You got it. Oh, good. You really talked that one up being space. So. <laughs> uh, that was the sound of NASA's probe Juno entering Jupiter's magnetosphere in 2016. So what mm. you're hearing is basically the turbulence caused by solar wind hitting the magnetosphere and then the probe crossing between those that, that threshold. And NASA thinks it can use information gathered from this event to figure out some things about the internal structure of Jupiter. So... That was hear ye, hear ye. The game is over now. <laughs> I loved it. That was that really was so fun. good. I need to thank the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology for providing me with the Toadfish song recordings. So thank <laughs> you. Their website's in the episode notes, so you should go check it out. They have tons of weird recordings of stuff. Not just birds. No. Not no. just birds. They Hopefully got they know that toadfish ain't birds. There's two <laughs> animals in their name that aren't birds, and they aren't birds. The scores of that, Sari and I came out tied with eight points apiece, and Sam got six. Oh, I lost? <laughs> you did, even though you had every chance to do better than that. Oh, we, no. uh, we stumped you. I thought I was riding high on, on the hog. I thought I was doing really good. Now it's time for us to take a short break, and then we can do the fact off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) 
different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, more grow. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Slideshow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Sari has eight points. Sam has six. And I, because I guess I got a point for my poem. Oh, we don't do points for poems anymore. Oh, damn it. Unpaid labor. You're doing it for exposure, (laughs) Hank. (laughs) And now it's time for the fact off where Sari and I have both brought a fact to present to Sam. And Sam gets to award us however many points he sees fit based on how much he likes our facts is the current version of the rules of this game. Well, I came up with an amount of points that complemented my game. So I think that should be fair. If I pick you, you get three points. And to decide who goes first, Sam, do you have a question for us? I do. Mm. About how many kernels are there on an average ear of corn? 
Ah. <laughs> oh, dear. 722. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, maybe like 15 times 30. 15 times 30? <laughs> That's like such yeah. a huge number. Yeah, that's no, like in not. thousands, right? No, it's 450. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do mental okay. math. It's 150 times three. Got to move okay. those zeros around. Well, the correct answer is 800. Oh. Alarmingly close, Sari. Good job. Wow. Did you picture an ear of corn and then like work your way up or what's going on there? I, I pictured an ear of corn and then I was like, 2,000 sounds like too many. <laughs> And then I just picked a number less than two thousand. Oh, well, wow, I had a whole I had a whole system and I failed. I was like, I bet there's I bet there's like thirty across and fifteen around. All right, so Sarah gets to pick who goes first. Um, I just looked it up, oh. and I, it is actually sixteen around. I I created a corn in my mind and I counted it, and it was sixteen. <laughs> and then I rounded down to fifteen just to do the math better. But I was right. I counted my mind corn correctly. <laughs> Your mind corn is the perfect average corn in girth. <laughs> but not in length. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll take my corn victory and go first. Okay. So like we were talking about, your outer ear is the most like obvious part of yourself that is ear. And it exists to amplify and funnel sound waves down your ear canal. So that's why if you cup your hand behind your ear, you can hear things a little bit louder. So the first hearing devices were just a mechanical version of the outer ear, like your trumpets that helped funnel more sound waves into the ear canal. And with a growing understanding of ear anatomy, people were finding more innovative ways to amplify sound before any use of electronics or audio processing technology. And I find that really fascinating. So here are three different hearing devices in the 19th century that were designed to be concealed. I just want to mention that I'm not part of the deaf or hard of hearing community, so I find these inventions cool because I like focusing on like the science of how they were created, and I'm trying not to inject feelings about hearing aids or like romanticize them in any way because that's a complicated discussion and not one for me to take up space in. So all that being said, one are hair accessories. So they took the idea of the ear trumpet and miniaturized them by building them into hands-free accessories that you wear on your head area. For example, there were headbands with spiral seashells over the ears that amplified sound, a hollow headband with a slot so the sound was funneled into the top of your head down to your ears, or even a (laughs) beard band that operated on similar principles with a slot that it just went from your beard upward. And in my mind, it's like kind of like combining, I don't understand instruments very well, but like the acoustic principles of like guitars have a hole cut in them to amplify sound, but you just have like a chamber that you then attach to your head somewhere that amplifies sound and brings it to your ears. Number two are acoustic chairs, which took the idea of the ear trumpet and created a much bigger and more elegant and fancy device. So they were expensive and mostly used by royalty. For example, King John VI of Portugal, his chair had hollowed out arms that ended with lion sculptures that he could rest his hands on with gaping open mouths that also led into hidden tubes. So when people knelt in front of him to speak, as you do for a king, their voices were fed through the lion tubes, amplified through structures hidden in the seat of the chair and emitted by his head Mm. in the back so he could hear them really good. And then number three, which is the wildest to me, 
we started to understand ear anatomy and hearing better when human dissections became more accepted in the 16th to 17th century. So we also realized that sound waves were carried from the outer ear through the middle ear to the inner ear with bones. Your, your membrane, your eardrum, taps on the bones, and then that brings those tiny touches to the cochlea, which is your inner ear, which like then transmits the signal to your brain. And so they realized also that sound waves could be carried to the inner ear by vibrating other head bones. So there were these bone conduction fans, like the Rhodes Audiphone or the Dentaphone, which were made of stiff material, and the user was supposed to bite down on the end of it to help amplify sound through their oh. teeth and jaw. So you could like fan yourself with it sometimes, but then otherwise you could like <laughs> nibble on it a little bit and then it'd help you hear better. There is apparently a gain of around 30 decibels, which is like, according to what I read, hearing someone from two feet away instead of 64 feet away. How do modern hearing aids work? A lot of electronics, like it started out as an analog system where it was just like a microphone picking up sound and then mm-hmm. bringing it to your ear. And now there are digital systems in which like the audio is processed. And then there are implants which can like bypass the ear system and go to the brain depending on where the damage is. I thought maybe they are vibrating bones too. I think modern hearing aid companies have also looked into vibrations through bone or like sending mm. vibrations through your jawbone or other places in your skull instead of the three little ear bones. But okay. I don't know too much about latest innovations or breakthroughs. Well, in other ear news, cheetahs are very, very fast. Trust me, I'll get there. So they got <laughs> lots of adaptations that make them very fast. They got their long legs and their springy bodies. They've got lots of muscles and very they're very strong. But also, it's their ears. Because moving very fast requires, you know, moving your legs very fast, but also lots of coordination. So you have to be able to maintain balance and keep your head and neck and eyes all stable, which is hard to do when, like, I'm just sitting here at my desk. But it's even harder when you're moving at 29 meters per second. So... A lot of animals have a whole system in our inner ears called the vestibular system that helps us maintain balance. And it's made up of thing called the bony labyrinth, which contains tubes called the semicircular canals. And as fluid moves through those canals, they stimulate hair cells and those create a mechanical signal that's translated into an electrical signal in the brain. So we can figure out how our bodies are oriented in relationship to gravity. So scientists decided to see how the vestibular system in cheetahs compared to other cats by taking 3D scans of different skulls they had on hand. In addition to modern-day cheetahs, these samples included the clouded leopard, the domestic cat, and a cheetah species that went extinct 126,000 years ago. And when comparing the skulls, the scientists found that modern-day cheetahs had both a distinct shape and a relative volume that corresponded with the inner ear being more sensitive to head motion. So they think that the structure helps the cheetah maintain stability in what it sees and how its body is positioned, even as it chases down prey at very high speeds with lots of twists and turns and sudden movements. Moreover, the extinct cheetah didn't have the larger vestibular system, which makes this uh, development probably a relatively recent one. And maybe if you'd had better inner ear, you wouldn't have gone so extinct. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about how you need your ears to go fast, but mm. it's true. My vestibular system gets messed up when I go on a roller coaster. I feel dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe cheetahs sense. will be better at that. Mm-hmm. We should put a cheetah on a roller coaster. Please. Yeah. <laughs> and this Start year. grants. <laughs> for science. <laughs> we need to get that extinct cheetah and the alive cheetah, put them on a roller coaster together. Yeah. 
So we need cloning, money for cloning. Yeah, we need to do some de-extinction work and we need all of Space Mountain for me for several weeks. And two cheetahs. (laughs) (laughs) So Sam, you've got um, hearing devices of the past concealed as hair accessories, furniture, and hand fans. Or you got me with modern cheetahs with specialized inner ears that help them keep balance while chasing down their prey. Ugh, I was going to pick Sari until we started talking about roller coasters, and that was real fun. No! <laughs> um, I feel horrible about my decision. I'm going to pick Hank. Hmm. I feel great about your decision. <laughs> so, Hank, you get three points. I got three points. Yeah. I only needed one. All right. It's time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our ca- one wh- listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific mind. It's from at holiday eyes. It's, I like the idea of like, you just got like specialized for the holidays. Yeah, Pop them in. I know. I know prolonged exposure to loud noises can cause hearing damage. Whoops. But what's the actual mechanism that causes the hearing loss? And why do higher frequencies go first? I don't actually know. <laughs> I assume that the hair cells are delicate, but I don't know why higher frequencies go first. Yeah, it has to do with hair cells. So Hank did a really good job explaining the idea of sound waves causing pressure and like physical motion on these things called hair cells, which then change that into electrical stimulation of the auditory nerve, which sends the signal to your brain. And hair cells are actually like a very weird shape. The bottom mm. part is like a solid chunk, like mm-hmm. like an oval, like you'd imagine a cell with a nucleus in it. But then the top part is a bunch of cilia, or specifically stereocilia, which are groups of these like slender tubes that stick out. You see them on drawings of like bacteria because cilia are sometimes used for movement, but they're also like on the inside of your intestine. They're like the, the little lumpy bumps. And that's why they're called hair cells. They have nothing to do with hair follicles. They're just like, ooh, these like cilia bunched together in, in bundles look kind of like a little little hair. Those are what receive and, and move because of the changing pressure of sound waves. Hmm. And all these hair cells are in a structure called the cochlea, which is named because it's spirally like a snail shell, but it's the size of a pea. So it's very tiny snail shell. And there's fluid inside of it that all the hair cells are in. So they're not just getting like pushed in the air by the waves. They're, the, the fluid is moving and they're waving back and forth like seaweed mm-hmm. at the bottom of the ocean. And when the sound waves are too loud and so the pressure waves are too strong and the vibrations are too intense, then you can damage the hair cells. You can either damage the cilia or the base of the cells through like normal cell cell damage things. Right. Like you would... If you skinned your knee, I think it would be similar of like just too much wiggling back and forth of these hair cells. Mm -hmm. And to our knowledge, there isn't a way for humans to regenerate it. There are some animals that have populations Mm. of progenitor cells in their ears that can regenerate them, like in the way that we can create more red blood cells, but we just can't make more hair cells. So once they're beat up, once they're damaged, we have no way of repairing them. That can happen through loud noises which then limits your capacity to take sound waves and change them into electrical signals, which means your hearing goes down. Or there's this thing called presbycusis, which is just like the the loss of hearing due to age. And that's just like your cells getting older and dying because you're getting old. And then as far as like the frequency of it, 
The cochlea is arranged in a really interesting way. So if you imagine the spiral swirling inward like a snail shell, the stuff towards the opening of the snail shell are the highest frequency detecting hair cells. And then as Mm. you get spiral inward and closer to the center of it, those are the lower frequency sensing hair cells. And in my understanding, the waves have to propagate through the fluid around, past all the high frequency to get to the low frequency. And so the high frequency hair cells get the most rough and tumble whenever you're hearing any type of sound. And so that's why your high frequency hearing goes first, just because of like the structure of the cochlea and how different hair cells receive sound waves as mechanical motion. It makes so much more sense when they're like waves that are actually smacking something inside of your, your ear. If you want to ask a question to the Science Couch, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Traveling Man, at Minimums, Minimums, and everybody <laughs> else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Final scores, Sari has eight, Sam has six, and I come out on top with 11, which means the Chin Coin season totals as of the moment are me with one, Sam with one, and Sari with none. Maybe. So pre-season. We'll see what happens. We'll do, or may, <laughs> this may, in fact, all be preseason. Yeah. If you like this show and you want to help us out, super easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. You can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode or tell us how you feel about the new games we're trying out. Finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. There's a fish called the bony-eared ass fish. (laughs) That's it? That's mostly it. That's mostly the whole fact. (laughs) There's there's ears and there's ass. It's an ear-ass fact. Yeah. Uh, And we don't actually know why it's called the bony-eared ass fish. (laughs) We think it's possibly because its it's, uh, scientific name is... Acanthonus armatus, and we're not sure where Acanthonus came from, because Acanthos means prickly, which makes sense because it's a prickly fish, and the onus, we're not sure, but maybe people thought that it was a cognate with the Latin word for donkey, but like they were wrong about that, and so they called it an ass fish, (laughs) even though it doesn't look like a donkey at all or a butt. Maybe they just really wanted to goof on this fish. They didn't like the look of them. The bony-eared ass fish also holds the record for the smallest brain-to-body weight ratio of all vertebrates. (laughs) This fish sucks so bad.